We're continuing our series today about money and the Bible. And the question is, why are we talking about money in church? And the answer to that question is because we believe the Bible. Amen? At this church, we believe in God's Word. And the Bible talks about money a whole lot. In fact, money is the second most discussed topic in the Bible, only second to God himself. That's how often money and material possessions are spoken of in the Scripture. And money, money always tells the truth. Money never lies. Money is a, it always tells the truth about us. You know, you've heard people say before that if you want to know where your heart really is, just show me your checkbook register, and I can tell you where your heart really is and what what your true desires are, because money reveals things about us. It tells you about yourself, how you spend your money, how you make your money, how we think about money. It all reveals the truth about who we are. Last week, we looked at Moses and money. We looked at the first five books of the Bible. Uh, The kids in the room, y'all have been here on Wednesday nights. What are the first five books of the Bible called? Come on. I know y'all learned it. It starts with a P. Yeah. The Pentateuch, right. Another word for it is the Torah, the law. That's the Hebrew word for law. And the first five books of the Bible, Moses, traditionally we understand that, that Moses wrote those and as revealed by God to him. And we looked at what God had to say to Moses and the people of Israel in the law last week about money. Now this week we're going to talk about the prophets and money. The prophets. The Hebrew prophets in the Old Testament have a lot to say about money. There are 16 of them, 16 Old Testament prophets, beginning with Isaiah and ending with Malachi. And now, what are prophets? Prophets are men or women of God who are inspired by God's Holy Spirit to speak God's word to God's people. Prophets are people who speak the word of God to the people of God. Next slide, ladies. Prophets are people who speak the word of God to the people of God. Oftentimes, the prophets were poets. They would write songs. They would, they would write poetry as a way to communicate the message that God had given them. That's why you see when you read in the Bible that the prophetic books are often written like verses of a song. It's because they are songs. They're poetry that God had given them to communicate a message. And the prophet's main project, their main calling in Scripture is to call God's people to live a life of integrity, wholeness, and holiness. That's their job. If you read the 16 Old Testament prophets, their main message is calling God's people to live a life of integrity or wholeness. In other words, to live a life that isn't self-contradictory. See, all human beings, especially religious human beings tend to end up being at least somewhat hypocritical. You know, you hear people say, church is full of hypocrites. Guess what? The world is full of hypocrites. Every one of us at some point in our lives can tend to be hypocritical. We don't do it on purpose. No one wakes up and decides this morning, you know what? Today I'm going to be a hypocrite. That's my job today. That's what I want to be. No one does that, but we all tend to kind of go towards hypocrisy, and it's a slow fade. We don't do it on purpose. It just kind of happens into becoming not totally consistent between what we believe and how we behave. How many of you know, I believe some certain things are wrong, but I still end up doing them sometimes? 
Come on, am I the only one? Is the preacher the only one that'll admit that this morning? We all have those kinds of issues, but there's a there, but and God knows this about his people. He knows that we tend to bend toward hypocrisy. He knows that people tend to compartmentalize their lives. And we say over in this part of our life, in this room of our life, we'll be Christians. But over on this room on Monday morning, we'll be businessmen. And we tend to separate our Christianity from how we deal with other parts of our lives, especially money. We tend to build a wall between what we say is sacred and what we say is secular and to say we believe one day on Sunday, but we behave a different way on Monday. And God's prophet's job is to break down the wall between our Sundays and our Mondays, right? That's their job is to make sure that we don't build too many walls separating what we believe from how we behave. They call us to live consistently, to live with integrity to remind us on Monday what we said we believed when we were in church on Sunday. Prophets call people to live with integrity and to call you out if you get too far into hypocrisy. That's their job. So prophets aren't always fun people to be around because prophets will call you out and they will, they will point out areas of your life that maybe you would rather not talk about. Because for God's people, there is no difference between the religious and the sacred or the secular. It's all sacred. Our entire life belongs to God, not just certain parts of our lives. Because if we are God's people, then he is the center of every part of our lives. You know, you hear people say, well, Jesus is a very important part of my life. Well, that's not Bible, and that's not scriptural. We don't say Jesus is an important part of our life. In fact, Paul writes in Colossians, Christ who is your life. He's the very center of our lives. He's the very existence. Everything we have and who we are is held together by God. Amen? So we don't say, God can talk to me about heaven and being a good person on Sunday, but God can't talk to me about money and business practices on Sunday. That's a false division. God is interested in every part of our lives. We can't separate what we believe about God and our personal relationship with God from how we think about, spend, and earn our money. So that's the prophet's job, keep us honest, to keep us uh, uh, living toward integrity, to tear down the dividing walls between the secular and the sacred. And how the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, tells the story of God's people, the people of Israel. And we saw last week that Israel was called to be a unique nation among all the other nations, that they were called to be a kingdom of If you didn't hear the message last Sunday, it's on our app and it's online and you can go back and take a look at it. But God's people are called to be a royal priesthood, a priestly nation. And God's people, their task is to embody what it looks like to worship God and live according to his will in creation. And then to call the rest of the world to do the same. And this kingdom culture of Israel was supposed to be characterized by two things. Number one, fidelity in worship. They were supposed to be faithful in worship. No other gods, no other idols. Those are the first commandments, that you're supposed to worship God correctly. That's number one. Number two, then out of our true worship of God, we are supposed to treat our neighbor with justice. We're supposed to treat our neighbor with love. Jesus put it this way. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the second commandment. What's the first one? To love God. 
So worship and neighbor. That's, that's the characterization of who Israel was supposed to be. So the Hebrew prophet's job was to make sure that Israel kept to their calling. That make sure that Israel kept uh, uh, to the, the purpose that God had chosen them as their people. Because the prophets would not tolerate the separation of worship to God from justice and love for your neighbor. Let me say that again. The prophets would not tolerate the separation of worship to God from justice and love for your neighbor. We often say, I believe right, and I worship right, and I go to church, and that's all that matters. But the prophets say, no, no, no. Just because you believe right and just because you worship right doesn't mean you can treat your neighbor wrong. Integrity, consistency. For the prophets, it wasn't enough just to worship the true God. Israel also had to exhibit the nature of God as a generous God, as a loving God, and as a compassionate God. So when you read the Hebrew prophets from Isaiah to Malachi, all 16 of them, you will find that they're most often talking about one of two things. They're either talking about idolatry, incorrect worship, or they're talking about injustice, incorrect love towards your neighbor. And in both idolatry and justice, they are almost always talking about money. They're almost always talking about material possessions and how you're worshiping material possessions and money or how you are misusing material possessions to take advantage of the poor. Because money can be an idol that eclipses God, that takes God off the throne of our lives and puts itself there instead. And the love of money and the unbridled pursuit of money often leads us to treat other people, especially people less fortunate than us, the vulnerable around us, often leads us to treat them unjustly. So for the Hebrew prophets, true worship and true justice almost always had something to do with money. And if Israel began to congratulate themselves on being God's people, but they failed to provide just economics for the poor and the vulnerable in their community. The prophets would say things like, you're an unfaithful wife to the Lord. You've become like your sister Sodom. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom, that she had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. Isn't that interesting that we often... Uh, associate Sodom and Gomorrah with a particular sin. Y'all follow me, the adults in the room? But God's word says this is the guilt of Sodom. She had pride, excess of food, and prosperity, but she did not aid the poor and the needy. That's how seriously God takes it. Now, I want to stress this. I want you to write this down. I want you to get this. I want you to hear it. I want you to know it. I don't want you to be confused about it. The prophets were not against wealth and prosperity. The prophets were not against wealth and prosperity. In fact, you will find the opposite is true, especially in the Old Testament. Don't think that God is against you having stuff, that he just wants you to be poor to be poor. No, that's not what the scripture says. The prophets of Israel didn't have a vision of the nation living in some sort of self-enforced poverty for the sake of seeming spiritual. Not at all. In fact, it was the opposite. Oftentimes, the prophets saw prosperity as a part of God's will and God's blessing for human flourishing. He wants to bless his people. 
He wants you to be blessed. He's there. So the prophets, they're not against wealth. What they're against is wealth that is gained at the expense of forgetting the poor, the needy, and the vulnerable in our community. They weren't against prosperity. They were for it. They want you to be blessed because God wants you to be blessed. I want you to hear that. I'm not preaching that we're just supposed to be poor and humble and, and just go through life scraping the bottom of the barrel. That's not what I'm preaching. But I am saying that they were against prosperity that was one to the ignoring of the poor and the needy in our community. So for the comfortable, rich aristocrats of Israel who ignored the needs of the poor among them, the prophets were annoying. They would annoy you if you ignored the injustice around you because they weren't against your richness. They're, they're, but they're not going to allow you to enjoy your wealth and your prosperity if you're ignoring Lazarus at the gate begging for crumbs. They're not against you being blessed, but if you are blessed without taking time to be a blessing to someone else less fortunate than you, then they're going to show up and they're going to bug you and they're going to irritate you and they're going to call you to rethink and repent and they're going to call you to begin a different kind of life, a life of integrity, of wholeness, and of holiness. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus and money. And Jesus is the culmination of a long line of Hebrew prophets. And we're going to see that Jesus preached the same message as the prophets. He put it this way. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and manna or money as an idol. See, Jesus wants us to know money is a great servant, but it's a horrible master. Making money your master will make your life miserable and you will begin to engage in various forms of injustice where it becomes difficult to truly worship God and becomes difficult to truly love your neighbor because money will have become your God. Last week we saw that God gave Israel laws through Moses at Sinai to help them avoid falling into making money an idol in their life and to make, uh, avoid taking advantage of their fellow human beings in the pursuit of money. There was the law of the tithe, giving the first 10% back to God, recognizing that God is the landlord of the entire earth and thereby redeeming the 90%. To be blessed by God. There was every seven years debt cancellation so that people would never get into a long-term crippling debt that they could never dig out of. There was the Jubilee year every 50 years, a Jubilee reset where the family farm went back to the original family so that there was never a, a permanent ruling upper class, but that everyone was able to enjoy the promises of God in their life. God gave them these rules to help them from be, uh, becoming people who worshiped money. But by the time you get to the 8th century B.C., when the first prophets began to speak, those laws were being routinely ignored. And that's when the Hebrew prophets stepped up. They came because they saw what was happening in Israel was a profound ignoring of the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the covenant that God had given Israel at Sinai. And one of the first Old Testament prophets to ever preach was a man named Amos. Now, Amos was a farmer, and something compelled Amos to, as a farmer to start writing and speaking out in public. Amos lived around the same time as the prophet Isaiah, 
but he came first. Amos is prophesying, if you remember in your in, in Bible study, that the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms after uh, Solomon died. And Amos is prophesying to the northern kingdom, whose capital is Samaria. And Isaiah prophesies to the southern kingdom, uh, whose capital is in Jerusalem. And what? But this farmer, he begins preaching to the northern kingdom. What drove him to become an annoying prophet instead of a farmer? It was the economic injustice that he saw in his nation. Look at this. Look at Amos chapter 4. You're going to love this one. You ready? Amos chapter 4, verse 1. This is the, a prophet of the Most High God speaking. And he says, listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. Yeah. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. You, don't you love it? I, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands, bring us another drink. Bring me another martini. That's what he's saying. He's speaking to the 1%, the elite, the rich. He's shouting at them, you fat cows. You're sitting there, cursed are you that you crush the needy and you forget about the poor all around, the, all along just saying, bring me another drink and fill my cup. Verse 2, the sovereign Lord has sworn this by his holiness. The time will come when you will be led away with hooks in your noses and every last one of you will be dragged away like a fish on a hook. You will be led through the ruins of the wall and you will be thrown from your fortresses, says the Lord. Did you know that within 10 years this happened? Within 10 years of Amos speaking this, the Assyrian uh, Empire came in and, 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 and took over the northern kingdom and they deported all of the people of the northern, the rich of the northern kingdom, all the people of the northern kingdom were put into forced exile and lost everything just 10 years after Amos wrote these words. Look at Amos chapter 5, verse 10. He says, how you hate honest judges. Now, judges aren't just people who sit in courtrooms. Judges were leaders in the nation. They were like, we have a county judge. We have, we have justices of the peace in our county. That's the kind of judge we're talking about, leaders in the community. How you despise people who tell you the truth. You trample the poor, stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. That's Monday stuff. We don't talk about that kind of stuff on Sunday. That's the kind of stuff we talk about during the business week, but not at church. Why would you talk about taxes and rent policy in church? You can't separate it like that, though. God doesn't say, God, God cares about things like taxation and rent. Yes, the earth is the Lord's. Remember that from last week. And everything in it is the Lord's. And that's the foundational understanding of the kingdom is that everything I own and every business I take part in, it belongs to the Lord. And what is done on his property is his concern. So, he's, so yes, he's concerned about things like taxes and unfair prices. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. For I know the vast number of your sins and the depths of your rebellions. You oppress good people by taking bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So that who are those who are smart keep their mouths shut, for it is an evil time. But Amos didn't keep his mouth shut. How many knows that this is going to get you in trouble if you start talking like this? 
He was a prophet, and prophets are the kind of people who see wickedness and evil in the world around them, and the words inside them are like Jeremiah said, fire shut up in my bones, and I have to speak out against the stuff that I see around me, no matter the consequences. And Amos says, if you're smart, you're quiet, but if you're a prophet, you speak. You know, we don't know much about Amos, and we don't know anything about the outside the book of Amos about his life, but we do know from the New Testament that prophets like Amos were killed for speaking out. They spoke out against the rulers and the leaders, and even though they were speaking for God, people didn't want to hear that kind of message, and they were eventually killed. You go up to the, fat, the capital city, and you start calling the wives of the ruling class fat cows, and it's not going to go well for you. Those who are smart keep their mouth shut, but Amos, he can't keep his mouth shut. Look at verse 14. Do what is good and run from evil so that you may live. Then the Lord God of heaven's armies will be your helper, just as you have claimed. Hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps even yet the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. See, when God calls you out, he always gives you an opportunity to repent. He, uh, he, it's never ever, well, you've messed up, so I'm done with you. There is always, you've messed up, but here's how you make it right. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. I hate all your show and your pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings or grain offerings. I'm not even, I won't even notice all your choice offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, the endless river of righteous living. In other words, Jesus says, God says, that you can come in here and sing all you want. And you can have the greatest worship service ever, have the greatest talent. And it can even be a happy, clappy Pentecostal service and you can run the aisles and you can shout and you can praise and you can have an anointed service. But if you're not taking care of the poor neighbor around you, I'm not hearing any of it. It's tough stuff. These prophets are kind of annoying, aren't they? Don't like to hear this kind of stuff. The prophets didn't rebuke people for not going to church. The prophets rebuked people for going to church and not letting it affect the rest of their lives, including how they thought about, earned, and spent their money. He rebuked them for leaving their faith in the pew when they go out the door on Sunday afternoon. The prophets are saying if, you were, if your worship on Sunday doesn't flow with rivers of justice into your business on Monday, God says don't even bother. I'm not going to hear it. See, that's integrity. That's walking without a wall between your Sunday and your Monday. That's walking in wholeness and holiness and taking down the wall between secular and sacred. Worshiping God on Sunday but then doing shady business deals on Monday is not going to cut it for God. If you're going to do that, don't even bother with the praise songs. Might as well pack up and go home. Amos chapter 8, verse 4. Listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy. You can't wait for the Sabbath to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can go back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and you cheat the buyer with dishonest scales and you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave poor people for one piece of silver or for a pair of sandals. He says, okay, yeah, you're observant on the Sabbath, 
but the Sabbath was given as a blessing. Remember, we talked about that last week. The Sabbath is given as a blessing, but here in Amos's day, the people are just waiting for the Sabbath to be over so they can make more money. They hated the Sabbath because it meant I can't make money on that day. They observe it, but their heart is completely given over to the idol of greed, and Amos calls them out on it. See, this is the thing about prophets. You can be doing everything right on the outside, but God gives them a vision of what's going on inside of you. And he gives them a vision, and they begin to speak. And they begin to speak things that you'd rather not hear, and you thought you had done a good job of hiding. But God sees it. Now, prophets, remember, are not opposed to wealth and prosperity. They believe that's God's will for your life. They're just opposed to the idol of greed causing you to treat others or to forget others who are suffering. The very end of Amos, he makes a turn. In chapter 9 of Amos, he envisions a day in the future when Israel will be restored from exile and God's blessings will return, a righteous prosperity. Look at Amos chapter 9, verses 13. God says, The time will come when the grain and the grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. Then the terraced vineyards on the hills of Israel will drip with sweet wine. I will bring my exiled people of Israel back from distant lands, and they will rebuild their ruined cities and live again in them. They will plant vineyards and gardens, and they will eat their crops and drink their wine. I will firmly plant them there in their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. I want you to see this. Name is chapter 9. God isn't opposed to prosperity. He wants it for you and for me. He wants our our harvest to be plentiful. He wants our increase to be overflowing. He's just opposed to receiving that prosperity on a foundation of injustice for the poor and the less fortunate among us. Now that's Amos. Now Isaiah, he's prophesying in Jerusalem around the same time as Amos, but Amos, but Isaiah is in the southern kingdom. He's in Jerusalem. And he's, he says in Isaiah chapter 3, he says, The Lord takes his place in court and presents his case against his people. The Lord comes forward to pronounce judgment on the elders and rulers of my people. He says, You have ruined Israel, my vineyard. The picture is God sitting on the high court of Israel, ready to pass judgment on his own people his own children, and his judgment is of the elders and of the rulers and the civic leaders and the priests and the scribes and the Levites and the kings. God's going to judge both the religious leaders and the political leaders. Why? He says, you've ruined my vineyard, Israel. The idea is that Israel is supposed to be unique among the nations. We're supposed to be different than everyone else, and God has planted a choice vineyard within the world uh, to represent him and to show that he is a God of justice, of generosity, and of goodwill towards the rest of the world. He wants justice to be produced in his vineyard. He wants, he wants the poor to be taken care of in his vineyard. He wants uh, uh, things to, 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 good things to happen and people to be blessed, but not at the expense of forgetting the poor, because that's bad grapes and it's injustice. Look at verse 14. You have ruined Israel, my vineyard. Your houses are filled with things stolen from the poor. 
Now, when he says that your house is filled with things stolen from the poor, he doesn't mean that the priests and the political leaders of Israel ran around burgling people at night and taking stuff out of their houses. That's not what he means. They didn't have anything to take anyway. What he's saying is uh, the whole way you've arranged this system to take advantage of poor people to get rich, that's a problem. You've arranged a system where the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor, and your houses are filled with the things that you have stolen from the poor because, remember, it all belongs to the Lord. And God gets to decide where it goes. And if we take advantage of people less fortunate than us, then we're doing shady business on God's property. And he's intimately interested in what we do. Isaiah 3 verse 15, how dare you crush my people, grinding the faces of the poor into the dust. Look at verse 8, what sorrow for you who buy up house after house and field after field until everyone is evicted and you live alone in the land. But I have heard the Lord of heaven's army swear a solemn oath and say many houses will stand deserted. Even beautiful mansions will be empty. So woe unto you if you buy up every house after house until everything's, everyone's evicted. Now, now, how is that possible? How is that possible to just take over whole houses and communities because people are in debt. You remember last week we talked about Egypt and Pharaoh and how he took advantage of the poor in a famine and he bought up all their land and then he put them into slavery and that's how the Hebrews ended up in slavery at that time. He took advantage of their position in life. So instead of being a vision of justice, Israel is starting to look a whole lot more like Egypt and like Pharaoh. They've gone back to Egypt in their hearts. They've, re- they've recreated the same system that was in Egypt and Israel. And God says, woe unto you, cursed unto you. The only way that that can happen is they're not practicing the kingdom principles of the economy. They're not practicing the year of debt cancellation. They're not practicing the year of Jubilee. They're not practicing the Sabbath. They're not practicing generosity. They're not practicing the tithe, returning to God, what's already his, acknowledging God as the landlord of their life. And so the prophets are saying, the way this has happened is you've ignored what God has said. And if you want God's blessing, you're going to have to go back to what God has spoken. Of course, remember, the tradition is, is that eventually Isaiah was sawn into two because he preached a message that the leaders of Israel at that time didn't want to hear. They called out people for their failure to live up to God's intentions about money and generosity, and they usually end up something like Isaiah. Now, there's one last prophet I want to talk, to, talk about today. He's the last one, Malachi, very last book of the Old Testament. Look at Malachi chapter 3. He says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. At that time I will put you on trial, verse 5. I'm eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice, for these people do not fear me. Isn't that interesting? God puts people who cheat their employees and people who oppress widows and orphans in the same category as adulterers and liars and sorcerers. A recurring theme in Scripture is widows and orphans. They're they're the vulnerable, easily taken advantage of in the community. The immigrant laborers who have come to Israel because they're looking for something better, but 
Immigrant laborers are always under duress and are under threat of exploitation. They're easy to take advantage of. And this is happening in Malachi's day. They're still observant. They're still practicing the feast in the holy days. They're worshiping in the temple. They're making sacrifices at the temple, yet their Monday hasn't been transformed by their Sunday. So Malachi calls it out. Look at verse 6. He says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you. Remember I said, anytime God calls you out, there's always an opportunity to repent. There's always an opportunity to get it right. But you ask, how can we return when we've never gone away? How can we return when we've never gone away? They're not even owning up to it. They're saying, wait a minute, we've been doing all the right things on the outside. We've been wearing our church mask, and I've been going to church and doing the things I'm supposed to do, and I keep the Passover, and I do the things, and I, and I make sure I check off my list. How have we gone away from you? And look at what he says in verse 8. God says, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? And they ask, how do you mean? What, when did we ever cheat you? He says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. See, he's talking about money. Look at verse 8. You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do. Now, now see, you'll see the heart of God. Again, and I stress, the prophets are not against wealth and prosperity. They're against injustice and idolatry and not worshiping God correctly and not taking care of your neighbor. He says, if you do bring all the tithe in the storehouse, uh, the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you. And I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to contain it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God says if you get your behavior right on how you deal with money, you're going to be blessed among all nations. People are going to come to you and say, how are you so blessed? How, how are you so taken care of? How, is this, how has God done this in your life? And you say, you know what? I heard what God said about how to handle my business. And he blessed me. Jeff, am I preaching truth? I know, Jeff's talked to me about this. He said, man, we started, we started giving to the Lord and, got, and business just got better. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Even today. When you take care of God, and you do live the way God wants you to live. And listen, y'all don't, I, Jeff's rough around the edges in some areas, and he knows that, and I know that, right? But listen, that's a generous man, and you guys don't, most people don't see the generosity. God blesses generosity. He takes care of it. I, Malachi brings us to the end of the Old Testament. Next time we visit this, we actually have a, a guest next Sunday, but the Sunday after I'll be preaching on Jesus and money. We'll see that Jesus has to say about money. And Jesus wants us to be free from greed. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to seek to take care of the poor among us. He wants us to learn to trust God and thereby be liberated from uh, financial anxiety because there's nothing people worry about more than their finances. And he says, 
He wants you to be free from that anxiety. And Jesus isn't against abundance. Jesus takes care of you. He goes to the, the guys out fishing, and he says, just let your nets down on the other side, and they, they bring in a miracle catch. Almost sinks the boat with how much they harvest. He even paid Peter's taxes one time. He takes care of you. He's not, a, he's not against abundance. He's always about abundance. And if you just stay with Jesus, he's going to challenge you. And he's going to tell you, don't let money be your idol. And he's going to stress that the single greatest hindrance to full participation in his kingdom is, uh, is your own self-interest when it comes to money. But he also promises that God's going to take care of you. And if you just hang out with Jesus, there always seems to be more than enough. The wine doesn't run out. The fish, the loaf and fish are multiplied. He'll pay your taxes. There's always enough when Jesus is around and there's more to give to somebody else. So Jesus is going to teach us that we don't have to worry about money. We just hang out with Jesus and he takes care of it. Isn't that, isn't that a great word? That's the end of my message today. Last week I told you every week we're going to be practicing um, generosity through normally on a Sunday morning, 10% of every offering goes immediately into our missions fund and goes to a ministry outside of the church. And uh, the Lord just spoke to me last week and just, he said, um, you're, you're going to have to practice what you preach. And he says, can you trust me with this? And he said, give half away. Every week you preach this, give half away. And uh, I can just tell you that's a step of faith. Amen. The lights are still on this week, so y'all did okay last week, all right? But God has blessed us, and he's taken care of us. And so every week, we're going to give half the offering that comes in on a Sunday to uh, a different ministry. This week, I want to I share with you guys this, a, a project that's really special to my heart. About a year ago, Katie and I first became aware of this ministry. It's called Home of Hope. It's in Texas, and it is a home. Uh, it's a, a facility that helps to rescue and rehabilitate girls who have been victims of human trafficking. Now, I know there's a lot of rumors and conspiracies on the Internet and stuff. These are, this is the real deal, though. This isn't a conspiracy. These are girls who have really been victims of human trafficking. And they rescue them and they rehabilitate them. They, they get them schooling. They get them the help they need so that they can live a successful life free from the stuff that they had to experience. And so I want you to watch this video really quick and just hear more about Home of Hope, and then we're going to receive an offering uh, this morning, and half of everything that comes in today is going to go to Home of Hope. So would y'all go ahead and play that, please? Home of Hope was established in 2008 as an organization dedicated to help fight adolescent human trafficking in the U.S., since its inception, the organization has been actively involved in raising public awareness and acquiring adequate facilities to provide long-term aftercare. Our mission here at Home of Hope is to fight for justice for children, minors that are now survivors of human trafficking. My name is Susan Norton, and I'm the CEO of Home of Hope. In 2008, we first heard about the vision for establishing the Home of Hope. And through CT Church, we decided we wanted to be on board. In July of 2019, the Home of Hope board approached me and my husband and invited us to become a part of the leadership. And we gladly accepted because we've been a part of it since the very first day. 
Hi, my name is Amber Sharp and I'm the Executive Director for Home of Hope. At Home of Hope, we really believe in a comprehensive and a holistic approach to healing. We see each person, each child where they are and really craft a program of care that's geared towards their needs. We look at equine therapy or art and music and really want to look at all the kinds of modalities that that child might need. Through an extensive program of care, counseling, medical, therapy, and education, our goal is for children to be restored, function in society, and mature into successful adults. The team and I, we know that it takes a lot to meet these kids where they are, and it takes great partnerships from people like you who will say, I believe in the mission and the vision, and I'm ready to help Home of Hope succeed in finding healing for these girls. Hi, my name is Richard Vega. I'm currently the Vice President of Development here at the Home of Hope. I want you to think about the daughters and the mothers, families that have been torn, ripped apart. And we're asking you to join and link arms with us. We need your help. So there's multiple ways that you can personally be involved to help expand the mission and the vision of Home of Hope. Um, you can be a donor, you can be a corporate donor, you can be an individual donor, you can donate your time, you can be the voice, you can share our link. Help us expand the mission of Home of Hope. close to my heart. Um, I think it was when we were expecting Ainsley that we were in a service that they were sharing about human trafficking and we heard a testimony of a young lady and I knew I had a little girl on the way and I remember they gave an opportunity to, to give to help and this was a home in India that we were that they, it was a, the presentation was about and I remember Katie was sitting there with me and I was just I just was tears rolling down my face thinking how in the world could anyone do something like that to a little girl? And then how in the world are Christians not doing anything about it? And it's happening all over the world. And, and so it was like the, the offering bag went by and I was like, just take it all. Just take my, whatever you need, you know, whatever it is. It's very close to our hearts as, as your pastors. And um, we heard about Home of Hope, which is right here in our part of the country. And it's serving girls from this area because believe it or not, this is an issue even in this area. Um, and so, uh, so this is a this is something that I, I want us to give to this morning. Um, I've done this before. Even if you've got spare chains in your pockets or in your purse, ladies, and you just say, you know what, it's going to go to some girls who need it. Just go ahead and look in look in there. If you don't have a purse, get your neighbor's purse and you grab their spare change or whatever it is. But I want to ask you guys to give today and give liberally and generously. It's not staying here. It's not for this church. It's not going to me. It's not going to Pastor Katie. It's going to help some little girl somewhere. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and, and our uh, usher is going to come and receive the offering. If you didn't come prepared to give cash or check, you can give online. Um, and uh, if you're watching online, you can give online, and we thank you so much for that. 50% uh, of everything today is going to go. If you want to give a special designated donation just to Home of Hope, you can mark that on your envelope, and, and we'll make sure that all of that goes to it if you want to do that. But everything that comes in, at least half is going to go. Uh, if not more. And so thank y'all so much for that. We're trusting God to take care of our needs as we take care of the vulnerable in our community. Amen. And that's what we're going to do today. So Lord, would you bless this offering? Lord, we pray for Home of Hope. We ask, Lord, that you would, um, you, you would 
multiply every gift that goes there. Lord, I know I heard about their budget a couple of months ago. And Lord, they are operating just uh, on faith, believing that the money's going to come in to provide a home for these girls. Lord, I pray for every young girl that every penny goes to help. Lord, that you would see her healed and restored and set free and to live a life uh, for you and to live a life uh, of, uh, that's been healed by you, Lord, and a witness for you in Jesus' name. God, bless everyone as they give. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and provide every single need in this house represented in Jesus' name.